My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. And I want to invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 19. And we're going to start in verse 28. So you cannot understand the cross until you understand this. It. It happened on purpose. According to the will and the plan of God. Before time, the Father and the Spirit and the Son created a detailed plan. Time frames were predetermined. Key events were planned. A nation, a law, a land, and a people. They were all architected in the mind of God before God even created the world. And breadcrumbs were, and clues were laid all throughout history. And these breadcrumbs and clues were documented in the Old Testament. These breadcrumbs and clues included hundreds of general prophecies, specific prophecies, foreshadows, and more in the Old Testament and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Together, they are the unfolding of this divine plan, chapter by chapter, every story, every law, every promise, all of them pointing the exact same direction, culminating in this weekend, 2,000 years ago. And we have the privilege to come together and remember and celebrate the fact that our our God implemented with success his plan through Jesus Christ on the cross. This weekend is the climax of all of human history. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it is impacting our everyday up until this point and will for all of eternity. So which brings us to John chapter 19, verse 28. If you're looking there, Jesus is hanging on a tree. He's been hanging around a cross. He's been hanging there for roughly three hours. He is now successfully fulfilled every single Old Testament prophecy and foreshadow that referenced him and his sacrificial death except for one. And he is going to leave no prophecy, no shadow or foreshadowing unfulfilled. And here we get to chapter 19, verse 28. Here's what he says, or it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, and as Jesus is now at the finish line, he has this prophecy in his mind. It's all been fulfilled. It's all been completed. There's this one last prophecy, shadow, waiting to be fulfilled. John 19 goes on and says, Jesus said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And I love this. I love 29 because it says, a jar full of wine stood there. Like, oh, it just happened to be there. And this jar full of wine actually becomes really important because it is the fulfillment of a, an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. And it says, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. He looks down and he sees, lo and behold, the very thing needed to fulfill the very last prophecy and shadow of the Old Testament. It comes from actually Psalm 69. I want to just read to you a portion of this psalm. It's a psalm of King David. And here's what it says. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who destroy me, those who attack me with lies. I am in despair. 
I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. He's fulfilled them all. They put it to his lips. He drinks. He's ready to die. And verse 30 says this. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. I want to draw your attention to these three words. It is finished. On the surface, it's one word in the Greek, and it's a legal term. And it simply means this, paid in full, debt fulfilled, contract completed. Let's go a little bit deeper into this word finished. It means that a task or a job has been brought to completion. All the requirements for this task, responsibility, this job, this contract, all of them have been 100% satisfied. It is finished. And if you were to answer the question, what was finished? We get one word, two letters, I-T, it. Could you be more clear? What is it? Let's double click on it. It refers to at least, there's many more, but I'm just going to share with you four, four tasks, four responsibilities that on the cross, Jesus fulfilled, completed every single one of them perfectly. We're going to go through these. Are you ready? You can answer. The answer is yes, Pastor Michael. (laughs) Are you ready? Yes, we're in. It is finished. Jesus is saying, number one, our sin debt has been finished. So Christian, whatever personally you owe to God because of your sin and your failures and your infractions, whatever you owe to God because Christian, you have personally trusted in Jesus Christ. You no longer owe God anything in terms of your payment for sin because 100% of it has been satisfied, finished, completed, fulfilled on the cross. So debt is kind of a confusing terminology. We say the word, he paid our sin debt. Now, I hope we're like really clear that none of you owe God money per se. And in God's economy, he does not work with the financial currency that we work with. He works with a, a different currency. He works with a spiritual currency. And the currency in the economy of God is righteousness. So what happens is you and me were born and sin is coursing through our blood and through our bones. And from the time we can make conscious decisions, what are we choosing? Definitely not unrighteous or not righteousness. It's unrighteousness. Most of you have raised kids in this room or you've been a kid at one time and you know unrighteousness just billows out of us. And the problem is that our unrighteous unrighteous deeds create a problem with us and God and God is just and he must deal appropriately and justly with unrighteousness. And somehow we think that we can just be good enough and that good works can somehow fulfill our unrighteousness debt. Here's here's the problem. Before Christ, we have no righteousness. We have no righteousness to try to pay off this debt. So here's what happens. Jesus, fully God, righteous, perfect, pays for our sins in our place. And he takes on his body and his soul and his emotions, all the righteous, just punishment that you and I deserve for our unrighteousness. Now, here's the great thing. If somebody pays off your trillion dollar debt, what are you left with? Zero, broke, bankrupt, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't just pay off your trillion dollar sin debt. He actually goes into your account. He puts a trillion dollars back in there. And we are given now the righteousness of Christ. And it can never be taken away from us. 
No matter how bad or ridiculous we are, we permanently, when you trust in Jesus, you have for the rest of your life and all of eternity, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your sins have been paid for, not by your good works, because you didn't have any righteousness before him, but by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ, the righteous blood of Jesus. And so this is the beautiful story. Not only could you not overcome this sin debt, he did it for you, and then he gave you his righteousness. And now you are, in terms of spiritual currency, filthy, stinking, rich. So here's what we're going to do after the end of each one of these points. I'm going to say, it is finished. And then I want you just to respond with a hearty, heartfelt amen. Phil's church, it, your sin debt, is finished. Amen. Number two, Jesus is saying that God's righteous wrath towards believers' unrighteousness is finished. It is 100% satisfied that Jesus, on his body and his soul and his emotions, in the physical realm, the spiritual realm, God has poured out the fullness of his wrath on him, and he has absorbed all of it for any person who would trust in Jesus. And this is why this is incredible news, because you will never have to bear on your body, your soul, or your emotions, the wrath of God, because Jesus did it for you. Your sins have been paid for, and the wrath of God has been satisfied. It is finished. Amen. Number three, Jesus is saying, my life in the flesh, it's finished. There was a time from the conception of Jesus to the death of Jesus where he laid aside some of the privileges of deity. So for example, when Jesus was in Mary's womb, he wasn't pondering the meaning of the universe. He actually had to grow in wisdom and stature. And between the conception of Jesus and his death, he endured and overcame the temptations and limitations of this flesh which is so important because the only way the sacrifice would be accepted is if somebody righteous died in the place of somebody unrighteous. This is why we obsess as Christians over the fact that Jesus was flawless, he was sinless, he was without error, because if there was an ounce of sin in him, his death would have been meaningless in terms of being in our place for our sins. Jesus gets to the end of his life, and this is it. This body of flesh, no more. Three days later, he is raised from the dead with incorruptible flesh, no longer being tempted by the things that you and I are tempted by. And we get to look to his resurrected body and say, there is going to come a day because of the death of Jesus Christ where we do not have to deal with this irritating and frustrating and decaying and perishable bag of flesh. Amen? Amen. Phil Church, it is finished. Number four, lastly, not least and not at all, all the reasons. Jesus is saying the need for animal sacrifices is finished. You may not know the Old Testament very well, but God had created and instituted a sacrificial system, not one that actually forgave sins, but was a shadow, a foreshadow, a type. It looked forward to the ultimate sacrifice. And in one singular event, Jesus made obsolete the entire Jewish sacrificial system. Now, let me just say this to you. Are you not glad that when we come to church to worship, that we have to sacrifice animals before we can approach the presence of God? Can I get a, it is finished, amen, from everyone in this room? Amen. I am so grateful to live on this side of the cross. Now, a year from now, we're going to come to another Good Friday service, and you all will be here and more, and people have come to Christ over the, over the next 12 months, and you may not remember the details of each of the four 
responsibilities that Jesus finished on the cross. You may not remember Psalm 69, that this is the last prophecy and shadow that the Messiah Jesus was going to fulfill before he gave up his spirit. I do want you to remember this. If there's ever a moment, and there probably will be, when things look so bad that you are tempted to say that God has lost his mind, the battle, control, or you might be tempted to say, God is dead, irrelevant, unable to stop evil, an antiquated idea. I want to ask you to come back to this moment because on the surface, when you look at this moment, if you could go back in time and observe what's happening, Everyone is mourning. And Jesus utters these words, which probably to most people was nonsense. It, it is finished. And the guards, they look, they don't know what this means. And, and I want you to remember this when you're tempted to believe, probably like all the disciples were tempted to believe, probably like Mary was tempted to believe, probably like all the people who followed Jesus were tempted to believe. I want you to come back to this, and here is always the case. When things look their worst, this is when God starts to move. The best is actually, truly yet to come. Sin, death, Satan, pain, heartache, loss, they never get the final word. Like You'll notice a theme in our service. We're not hesitant or afraid to acknowledge in our Good Friday service the resurrection of Jesus. Because this isn't the first Good Friday. And what we need to know and be reminded is on our Good Friday, Jesus paid for our sin, but we don't have to stay there depressed and sad because he overcame. He was raised from the dead. He is victorious and he is a conqueror. And every single one of the people staring at him, all they saw was hopelessness. God is dead. God is irrelevant. God has lost. Satan has won. Discouragement. And every single one of them are going to have their minds blown in just a few short days. So Good Friday, Village Church, it's a communion service. And the Apostle Paul says about communion, he says this. As often as you eat this bread... And you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. And so the Apostle Paul says about communion that it is a proclamation. In just a, a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion together. And when we partake, we are proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ. And we are proclaiming, you ready for it? It is finished. Amen. Jesus says about communion that communion is about remembering. That the people of God, when they gather for worship, they're going to come together and they're going to remember through wine and bread, we do juice, whatever. And so you remember, though, you look back to the blood that was shed and the body that was murdered for our sin in our place, righteousness for the sake of unrighteousness. And we're going to take time when we gather as people and we are going to remember what he has done for us. And so every time we come together, we have a sort of a mini Good Friday service, if you will, and we look back and our hearts are filled with gratitude, with awe, with the reality and the weight of how much our God loves us and what he has done for us in our place. 
If you are here as a Christian, our job on Good Friday is to remember and to proclaim. And, and maybe you're here and you have personally never trusted in Jesus. When I referred to Christians earlier, you kind of have this self-awareness that that's really not me. Maybe somebody dragged you here. Maybe you're just curious. Communion is a time where you are being invited to trust in Jesus, maybe for the very first time in your entire life, where you're invited to receive the forgiveness of your sins, not because you were good enough or better than somebody else. Nobody ever got to heaven because they were good. The only way they ever got to heaven was by trusting in Jesus and having his shed blood, his righteousness paid for their sin. And communion is an invitation to you personally. Will you accept what Jesus has done on the cross for you in your place. And if you believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was raised in the dead, if you believe that you can never be good enough to earn your salvation, but you are asking him to forgive you and apply what he did to your account, if that's where you're at, I want to invite you in a moment. We're going to partake of these elements. And I want to ask you, would you take and partake with us as your first personal proclamation that you believe Jesus died for your sins? Maybe today will be the day that you trust in Christ. And maybe you're not ready. Maybe you have a whole bunch of more questions. And I know that we would love to help you take a next step and answer any questions that you have. Now, under your seat, you can feel free to grab it. There are some um, elements. And on the top, there is a wafer. And underneath is, is juice. And there are some simple requests that we have for anybody at Village Church. If you've trusted in Christ, maybe you go to a different church. Maybe you're visiting with us. We invite you to partake of communion with us. We are one body in Jesus, not through Village Church, but through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Um, There are kids in the room, and so here's our, our policy on kids. Mom and dad, it's totally up to you. If you are okay, and you know that your kids have personally trusted in Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to invite them to partake of communion with us. And again, maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Christ. And if you're not ready to place your faith in him, we just ask that you not partake because to partake is is to make a personal proclamation that Jesus is your God, he is your savior, and that you believe in him and his resurrection. And if you're not ready to do that yet, we just ask that you not partake. Nobody will judge you or look down on you. Truly, we're just really glad you're here. And so here's what we're going to do next. We're going to have just a time of silence. It's a time to remember It's a time to reflect, and it's a time to confess. And then when we're done, I'm going to read some scripture, and we're going to partake of these elements together as a symbol of our unity in Jesus. Let's have a time of silence together.